Are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. Hey guys, I'm Jen. And I'm Amanda. And And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless. are having a wonderful day we have a very fun and just crazy spooky scary episode for you today yeah it's a little nuts it's a little nuts jen and i we worked on this one together so it's it's going to be both of us talking about everything and it's going to be crazy yeah so we hope you like the last couple episodes i feel like our audio has been improving it's been so much better yeah so much better yeah so um yeah so amanda drove up to new hampshire i did and we're just sitting on my living room floor eating some banana muffins at like 9 30 at night yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is um late night fathomless this is this is late night we've never recorded this late usually this is my bedtime yeah but same. i like i i'm just like running on adrenaline because you're here yeah. i had a coffee before i drove up here because i got i left like Massachusetts around five because I was at my sister's house and took me like two hours, 15 minutes to get here. Wasn't too bad. No, no. It goes by quick. Yeah, we got some snow. Not as much as I thought we were going to get. No, like I told you earlier, I didn't have any issues driving until I turned onto your street and it was like all of a sudden there was just like three inches <laughs> and then you lost on the ground. Yeah. yeah, like immediately my car was like beep, 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 beep. And I was like, Jesus Christ, did I just lose traction? Like yeah. already I just turned on the street. I only like 12 fucking plows drove up and down the road all day right next to the Gilsom highway department. Yeah. And also it was funny. Like I can see, like I live on a hill, like a really steep like hill. Yeah. And in my bedroom, I have like the perfect view of the road right outside my house. And there was a truck carrying like something on a trailer. And I was like, what is going on outside? Like if someone like pulling up, like, but they were taking forever this truck like the wheels were like spinning and they were like Stuck. barely making it up the hill i was like you got it you're Ikea. almost there Ikea i was like cheering them on they made it they didn't but they That's were like good. he had to like try on it yeah yeah but um let's i guess hop yeah, right we're gonna into get into it. it so today we're gonna be covering the bennington triangle right not the bridgewater triangle nope the bennington triangle yes um, the Bridgewater Triangle episode will be coming in the episodes. We're episodes. like, I am. Yeah, there's a lot more that. information on the Bridgewater Triangle than the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. Um, but and about- I also just want to do a deep dive into that, like the history of the land and everything. So I think we're gonna do- make that a multi-part series. At yeah, least that's how I envision it. Probably in like the spring or summer, maybe. We yeah. Get, I got a couple busy months ahead of me. There are some places I want to take you to as well, like the Dighton Rock, Anawan Rock, some areas in the to, Triangle. Um, what's that place? I think it's in Freetown. It, Profile Rock. Profile Rock. Yeah. I've been there, didn't it? In like fall or something? One side of it had some erosion, which made a spot that you used to be able to hike up you can't really climb up that way anymore. Yeah, I literally had to scale this fucking rock to get yeah. up to the top. Um, 
but, but the views were awesome. It's beautiful up there. So you I can't been get up there. up there anymore? You can. It's just not as easy as it used to be. And even Got that it. wasn't very easy. Imagine um, being up there and then it crumbled and like your stuff. Oh, God. Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, it's it's not high up enough that you could easily like scale it without any equipment. Oh, yeah. My, being, sis- like, my a, sister a took me for climber. the first time and she was like, yeah, we're just going to climb up here. And then she started scaling this rock. And I was like are we doing but yeah. like, no, it wasn't that hard i was just, but you you gotta yeah put a little effort into yeah. but no it I'm makes me think of when i was a kid and we used to when we went camping all the time with my father and we would just climb through the rocks and over the rivers and you know and through just the climb trees oh yeah over Everywhere. the river and through the woods it was a blast <laughs> except it was not to grandmother's house because <laughs> she was in norwell <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, we're gonna. <laughs> I love you. I just find like the stupidest little things like the funniest. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. Uh, I'm here for the entertainment. All right, so let's get on with it. The Bennington Triangle. Yes. So nestled in southwest in the southwest corner of Vermont lies Bennington County. So like most of Vermont, Bennington is a, I'm going to have trouble saying this town over and over again. Bennington. Bennington. Bennington is a beautiful county full of towering pines, crystal clear rivers, and the lush green mountains that cut through the landscape. But there is an ominous, ominous, why can't, <clears throat> English, Jen. You got this, girl. <laughs> I feel like we go through this every episode. There is an ominous secret hidden among the trees. A darkness surrounding the Glastonbury Mountain and the villages below. Ooh. <laughs> we just did that at the same time. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page with like, oh yeah, saying things at the same time. Oh my god! All right. So the natives tried to warn the European settlers, but obviously, like typical European settlers, they just ignored everything that yeah. the natives had to say. Why am I not surprised? Yep, they ignorantly depleted the mountain of its natural resources. I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, but decades go by and several disappearances and strange occurrences later in the quaint county of Bennington has its own little area of strange phenomenon, just like the Bridgewater Triangle. So if you know anything about the Bridgewater Triangle, UFOs, Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, yeah, ghosts, um, Pukwudgies. Pukwudgies. I was like, yeah. what's, what's the name of that like creature? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of weird, strange things All happening. Things. So today we're going to be telling you about the Bridgewater Triangle, giving you a little background on the area. Did I say Bridgewater? You said Bridgewater. Oh, thank you for that. I got you, girl. <laughs> I'm already botching this and we're like <laughs> five minutes in. Um. We're going to be telling you about the Bennington Triangle and the strange myths surrounding it, missing persons, maybe a couple murders. I found yeah. a couple murders. I don't there know if you found I have some. in your research. Okay. Um, but just remember one thing. If you ever decide to visit the Bennington Triangle and decide to take a hike up Glastonbury Mountain, which I wouldn't if I were you. Yeah, I would not either. Whatever you do. Don't, don't wear, wear red. red. Don't wear red. Don't, don't do, do it. If you have red hair, don't go up. Got a red coat. Don't do it. If you got a red parka, anything. Red, anything red. Anything. Don't do it.
So I'm gonna get us started with just like a little bit of geography and some kind of history about the area. And then Jenna's gonna tell us about some disappearances and some mm-hmm. other spooky happenings. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna talk about some Bigfoot sightings, mm-hmm. all kinds of weird shit. Typical triangle things. All kinds of weird triangle things. So like we said, Bennington County is in the southwestern corner of Vermont. And the area that is considered the Bennington Triangle is actually made up of a few towns that kind of surround Glastonbury Mountain. Mm-hmm. And the towns that we're going to focus on are Glastonbury, Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset, which is actually just kind of on like the bordering, like neighboring county, Wyndham County, but it's right on the edge. But it's another ghost town that was mentioned in a bunch of the research that I did. So I wanted to add it in there as well. Yeah, a lot of these towns are uh Yeah, ghost like a towns. lot of them um, are ghost towns. So Somerset and Glastonbury are c- currently considered ghost towns, and they've actually been unincorporated as mm-hmm. towns. You can't even, like, look up Glastonbury, Vermont on a map. Like, yeah. it doesn't exist. No, pretty much. So uh, they basically they became unincorporated because they've had extremely low popula- populations. Populations, Jesus Christ. Populations. Populations. Um, we make so, up words here on Fathomless. We do. <laughs> um, populations for decades. Um, so they have no local government, no police, anything like that. Obviously, state police are in the area, but they don't have like a town office or anything like that. And any uh, like affairs or issues or anything that needs to go on in the town is all handled by a state appointed secretary. And I did find in the 2020 census. Um, the area of Glastonbury, which like the, the town that used to be Glastonbury, had a population of nine. Oh. Spread among like three families. Oh. <laughs> and Somerset had a population of six. Wow. Which was just two families living in the town at the time. I didn't deep dive into like all the background information because like I like learning at like the same time as the listeners. Yeah. Um, but wow. Yeah, yeah. When I found the, them in the census, I was like, Jesus Christ, six. I thought Gilson was a small town of eight hundred. Yeah. So that is that is an extremely small town. And the strange occurrences, like I said before, are all kind of centered around Glastonbury Mountain. So that is a part of the Appalachian Trail, and it's in an area of the tra- Appalachian Trail, particularly known as the Long Trail. Yep. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, the Appalachian Trail is a um, 2,200-mile hiking trail that stretches across the Appalachian Mountains, which is the series of mountain ranges that goes across the East Coast. And the trail stretches from Springer Mountain in Georgia all the way up to Mount Katahdin in Maine. Mm-hmm. And I found this little fun fact when I was kind of looking up everything. And there is a man named Joe McConaughey who holds the world record for completing completing the entire trail as a traditional hiker, which I was talking to you about this earlier means um, as a traditional hiker, it means that he didn't have a team of assistants like helping him, providing him food, shelter, medical care, all of that stuff. He basically just walked it himself and, you know, did what did what he could do. And so he started the trail northbound, which means he started in Georgia and went up to Maine. And on August 31st, 2017, he completed the trail. It took him 45 days, 12 hours and 15 minutes. So this dude walked from Georgia to Maine in 45 days. 
I wouldn't ever be able to fucking do That's, that. I, How long like, does the average person take? So I have a friend, and I believe it took her like a couple, like a couple, couple months, months to finish. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people do take like like a summer to kind of do it or something like that, like a few months and give themselves some time. But this, they were like trying to beat a record, so obviously they were like just this is basically just waking up, hiking, sleeping, waking up, hiking, sleeping. Damn. So that's, that's pretty intense, but I thought it was cool. So I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, no, that's cool. So prior to the European settlers arriving in this area, uh, the entire area of New England and, Car and Canada was inhabited by the Algonquins and had been since uh, 8,500 BCE. Wow. So really, really, really long time. So the Algonquin people, we talked about them in our Husak Tunnel episode, is actually made up of several tribes, all indigenous to different areas, pretty much covering all of the Northeast. And some of these that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name off right now, you might have heard of. So we have Abeneki, Mi'kmaq, Mohegan, Wampanoag, and the Narragansetts. Like Mohegan Sun. Yes. Got so it. that's just to name a few. Um, so these were all similar tribes. They all kind of shared similar language and culture but they all had their own little areas that they all kind of peacefully inhabited. Yep. <clears throat> you know, before before Europeans came along. Yeah, so, and fucked everything yeah. up. Today we're going to be talking about the Abenaki, uh, Abenaki tribe, or Abenaki, not quite sure on the pronunciation, uh, which were native to Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, and pretty much that kind of area. So if I do interchange Abenaki and Algon Algonquin, just don't get confused. Okay. We're, we're basically talking about the same kind of group of natives who inhabited the northeast of North America. Got it. So unfortunately, we all know what happened when the European settlers, you know, arrived in the 1600s. So I'm not going to dive too hard into that. I mean, um, that's the whole reason basically for the hauntings of the Bridgewater Triangle. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a reason for a lot of despair in a lot of this area. Um, and it was basically the same thing that, you know, happened in Plymouth and everything. They were forcibly removed from their homes. And just like the uh, Algonquins in the Husak Tunnel episode, you know, before they were, you know, forcibly pushed out of their villages and, you know, attacked and murdered by Europeans, they actually did try to warn them of the mountain and the strange curses that they believe the mountain held. It's like every, is um, the Husak Tunnel mountain, what's that mountain called again? Oh, God, I can't remember. I can't remember either. Is that part of the Appalachian Trail? Uh, I believe it is. I think right it is. Because it's in the Berkshires. Yeah, so. it is in the Berkshires. And the Berkshires are part of the Appalachian Mountains, right? Yeah. Appalachian. Appalachian. I that's think what the southerners call, call it. Yeah. They, they say that's the right way, too. Yeah. I don't know what the right way is. But, but we say Appalachian gonna, up in the north. I'm trying to, like... I literally just pulled up my old script for the Husak Tunnel. I'm trying to see if I it's can okay. Find it, but I can't. It's okay. It's too well, big of a script. <laughs> yeah, that was a big episode. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I'll have to look it up, but I do believe it is part of it. It's like on the it tip of my tongue. It stretches through the Berkshires, so it has to be in that same area. But uh, like I said, the they did try to warn the European settlers that there was something weird going on on top of that mountain. Yeah. And the Algonquins actually called the mountain the place where the four winds met in a struggle. Yeah. I've which heard that. was basically a reference to the extreme weather changes that would happen on the top of the mountain, which is pretty common when you get to high altitudes or like fairly high altitudes. But to them, it was a little bit different than that. They seemed like it was something unnatural was happening. 
And they actually told the Europeans that they avoided the mountain at all costs and they never went up the mountain unless it was to bury their dead. Yeah, I read that too. I was like, oh yeah, I wouldn't go up there either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also warned them of a dangerous man-eating stone that lived at the peak of the mountain. So the legends pretty much all say that the Algonquins knew of this stone, but they avoided they knew of its existence, but they avoided it at all costs. Mm -hmm. But they knew it dwelled somewhere up at the peak of the mountain. And they said the stone was large enough for a person to climb onto it. And it would kind of be in a spot where, like, you feel like you could climb onto it, get a good view of the area around you. So unbeknownst yeah. to... unbeknownst to the person, they would just climb up onto this rock. Once you were standing on top of the rock, the surface would go from being hard to more malleable, like quicksand. And just swallow you whole. That is terrifying. Literally the most terrifying fucking thing I have ever heard in my life. And if somebody who had inhabited this area since 8500 BCE told me, hey, there's a man-eating stone on top of this mountain and it's cursed. Don't go up there. I'd probably listen to them. Yeah, it's it's like, um, I don't know if you've ever read that thing online. It's like a theory. I forget exactly how it goes. But if you see a staircase in the woods, don't ever climb it. Oh, God, no. Don't ever climb those. There's a staircase in the woods, like, maybe 30 minutes from here. I think it's in West Chesterfield, New Hampshire. Yeah. It's, like, right on the border of, like, New Hampshire and Vermont. I th I, it's something from an old castle. But I want to go see it. But, like, I wouldn't climb the stairs because I know yeah, that this, no. it's, like, a thing. Like, what happens if you climb the stairs? Do you I know? don't remember. I just – I've always – known that you shouldn't do that if anyone knows gonna have let to us look know up. yeah, yeah but i want to go right see in. it because like i've been seeing like cre i've been trying to look up like creepy things in new hampshire or, like creepy things in vermont whatever and i came across that so yeah if something tells you someone tells you that there's something in the woods that's like haunted or something like don't don't test your boundaries on that yeah no so also at the top of the mountain i'm t um they you can find these strange um carns I think that's how you say it, like the, the stacks of stones. Mm -hmm. And usually these are ma made to mark trails at points of high altitude where there aren't like trees and stuff like that. But these don't mark any kind of trail. And they're actually in like a really weird formation. I, I found like a whole like science, like research report that a bunch of scientists did on it. And um, I'll show you like the diagram of where they're all placed, but they're in like a really odd spots and they're all kind of like, kind of like laying out a like one centered big, almost like a tabletop kind of piece. And then there's a bunch of little like stacks of stones kind of like in like a four square around it. It's very weird. Um, scientists have gone up to the mountain and researched these and they determined that they're roughly between 200 to 250 years old. And based on the use of quartz within the structures, which they've seen in other areas of New England, they believe that they were used for some kind of Native American ritual. That's spooky. Which would make sense considering the natives the land, said yeah. that they only went up there to bury their dead. And it's kind of at the top of the I think it's mountain. like a gravesite. I don't think it's a gravesite, but it could be where they maybe prepared bodies or had some kind of like ritualistic like funeral or ending. You know, everyone kind of has every culture has their own way that they handle their dead. And that that could be what it is. However, I did see some other things that said that 
the man-eating stone could possibly be hidden among these. And it could be a way of warning people that the stone is nearby. Creepy. So I, I'm not quite sure, but I did see that in other, like other research that I found, other papers, other articles and stuff. It said that it, the man-eating stone was hidden among them. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone know. up there at all. Do people still hike this? Yeah. No, it's still not, a part of the Appalachian Trail. Like, okay, I, yeah, I don't know why I asked you that question, because <laughs> obviously, but... um, No, they moved the whole Appalachian Trail after all the disappearances. <laughs> well, I don't know. If I heard, if I knew about this shit, and then I was walking that, like, the long trail, and say I had, like, a red hiking backpack, I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> gotta ditch my bag, like... Anyway, go on. So another warning that was given to the settlers was to watch out for a large ape-like creature that lurked in the forest. And it was so massive, it could throw boulders and rip trees right out of the ground. You know, you would hear it screeching from the top of the mountain. Oh my you could God. also smell them. Really? Okay, yeah, that's a big thing with Bigfoot too. Is like you'll smell them before you'll what see them. Smelling? Like musty, okay. rotting, like 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 wet dog, but like yeah. a thousand times worse. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Um, and if you were lucky or maybe unlucky, you could catch a glimpse of them. Uh-uh. So pretty freaking crazy. I'm sure. You, like obviously, you can all guess we're talking about Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, I do have a re- like a fairly recent sighting in the Bennington County area that we'll talk about later in the episode okay. once we kind of fully go through the timeline. It happened in 2005. Okay. So I figured I'll, I'll read ago. it at the end of the episode. Okay. But obviously, you know, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call him, does not come as a surprise. You know, there have been hundreds, thousands of reportings of him in New England or them in New England dating back to the 1700s. And obviously, even before that, you know, the natives had issues with this as well. But for as far as European settlers go, they've seen them since they pretty much arrived. Uh, But again, the European settlers paid no attention to the indigenous tribes and the warnings that they gave them of Glastonbury Mountain. And they ignorantly began to strip the mountain of its natural resources and kind of started, you know, a logging community by in 1791, Vermont officially became its own state. And started incorporating towns, including Glastonbury, which never really had a great beginning from the start. It was, you know, nestled kind of right on the edge of the mountain, kind of on the side of the mountain. And there's only one railway that went into it. So for decades, the population never rose above 10 families. That's so crazy. Yeah. And it wasn't until the Civil War in like the eight, like the end of the Civil War in like the 1850s that the town started to see some kind of big improvement. And by the 1870s, the logging industry became really booming. And that's when everything kind of really took off. So it was by like, you know, the it was pretty much the 1870s when the logging industry went nuts and it became a much bigger population. There was boarding houses made for the loggers so that they had places to live with their families. And those houses are still there. Yeah. And And they're just like empty yep like pictures of them are creepy and there was you know they had lush forest up in the north that they could use with that was all on the mountainside in the south side of town they made charcoal kilns which was where you know they would make charcoal so it was a big logging and charcoal community like i said they had one railway going in and out and bringing exports and people out 
And by the 1890s, the forest had actually been stripped of all of the mature trees. So they started to pretty much lose all of their materials to export. And that caused the logging community to kind of start to dwindle and things got really hectic. Makes sense. And it's around this time that we have our first murders recorded, which I'm pretty sure you heard about these in our documentary as well, the documentary that we both watched. So in April 4th, 1892, we have the first recorded murder on Glastonbury Mountain. And it was two loggers, John Crowley and Henry McDowell, got in a altercation that became violent. Now, the accounts that I read, it kind of varied. Yeah, uh, mine too. I wrote these yeah. down too because I didn't know if you wanted me to to cover the murders as well. Yeah. But yeah. um, I read that either it was like a, just a drunken brawl yeah. and they got into an argument. But then um, I heard another source said that like the guy that did the attacking kind of was hearing voices. Yeah. And just like randomly attacked. Yeah, like said he was like not a well man. I read that too. Now, did you ever like did they both have like varying like items that were used to hit him? Because I yeah. saw a board like a two by four kind of yep. and a rock. Yeah. So I like I. I mean, it in. was 1892. Yeah. They didn't really keep good records back yeah. then. So I it was feel some like kind of blunt object. That I was feel like used. any information before like the 1920s is just like take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, y- you never know what's 100 percent true. No, absolutely. But anyway, go on. So, uh, the, like I said, the accounts kind of vary. It was some kind of, but some kind of blunt object was used for Henry to hit Crowley over the head. Yep. And it caused him to fall to the ground completely unconscious. And McDowell actually fled the scene in panic, only to later return and find out that Crowley was dead. And then he fled entirely to Canada and tried to avoid the murder charge. And eventually wound up back in New England. I believe it said he went back to, he was like in Connecticut. Connecticut, yeah. Yeah. And um, he was tried and convicted of the murder of John Crowley. Then Henry McDowell was sent to the state mental facility, but his time did not last long there. (sighs) This part like gives me the creeps. So I just like, (laughs) I don't even understand how this man got away with this, but it was 1800s. It was the 1800s. Like, you know, living that weird hobo life so mcdowell found a way to join the yard crew on the state hospital and was able to kind of work on the grounds and at one point he hid in a train car that was full of coal and was just whisked away on the train and never seen again yep and escaped from the state mental facility yep and that was it that was it that was the end of him i also read that he that wasn't like his real name he yeah he had a different it was like james something it was hang tight it's like he william by... william conroy was his real name oh, but wow. he had really di- <laughs> he had many different aliases that he went by henry mcdowell yeah was being just one, one of them. them yeah jen's cats i don't know if you guys can hear them in the background no. but they're it, it's like zoomy time right they now. Just they just ate. I feel like going nuts. These microphones are good at not picking up too much background noise, but like, yeah, they're doing uh, they're post, going nuts right now. Post Dinden zoomies, it's going crazy. Yeah. So then we have the second murder that happened on the mountain, which was October first, eighteen ninety seven, which was opening day of the state of Vermont's very first deer hunting season. 
Sounds so fun. <laughs> hey, you know what? Honest, I'm all right with deer hunting. You know, the sad part about it is that we need it because they killed all of the deer's natural predators. So then they destroy the environment if you don't control their population. Yeah, but I can't, I still can't watch Bambi to this day. Oh, it's so sad. But, you know, <laughs> if we didn't kill off wolves because farmers didn't want them eating their livestock, we wouldn't have deer hunting season. That's a little fun fact for you guys. Got it. Save the wolves. <laughs> I'm one of those weird kids. Yeah, with the wolf shirt. Oh, my God. I have a wolf blanket on my <laughs> Like one of those ones from Walmart, like the super fuzzy one. It's like owling at a full moon. Yep. I am that. You person. took the shirt and you upgraded it to a I blanket. I did. I'm 30. I can't wear those, the t-shirt anymore. You no, can make it a yes, blanket. you can. Those wolf shirts are badass. I'm gonna get one. Get a unicorn one too. <laughs> Fuck yeah. So, Unicorns in space. Yep. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about John Harbor, who was a wealthy and prominent man in the area. And along with most men in Bennington County, he was, you know, up on the mountain hunting for deer season. And that is when he was shot and killed. And no one ever came forward and admitted to the authorities what happened. And the authorities kind of suspected it was an accident because, you know, it was deer hunting season. It's not like these guys, like it's, you know, fucking 18, what is it, 1897? Mm -hmm. These dudes aren't wearing like orange hats, you know? There's no like, yeah, they're like just going into the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So... No one ever admitted it, and the kind of lack of admission did kind of get, like, the rumor mill in the town going, making people think maybe it wasn't an accident if nobody came forward. Maybe it was just a clever way to cover it up because no one would suspect it because it was deer hunting season. Mm -hmm. Just a tragic accident. Mm -hmm. Did you find any other info on that one? I did. Ooh, what do you got? I did. So he was hunting with John Harbor. He was hunting with uh, his brother and a friend. Um, at one point they got separated and they heard a gunshot followed by John saying, I've been shot. They heard John say, I've been shot. They heard the gunshot. They were confused about who could have shot him because it wasn't either of them. Yeah. But again, if they were, I didn't read anything about like the kickoff to the deer hunting. Yeah. It was the very first day of the very first season. So I'm sure there are other people around, but, um, when they went to go search for him, they couldn't find him. He just kind of seemed to vanish. Um, But they did finally find him the next morning. Uh, They saw his legs sticking out from behind a tree. Love that. He was found sitting up against the tree, kind of like propped up against the tree, uh, with his gun placed right next to him. There were no drag marks near his body, and it was determined that he had been shot in a different location and placed under the tree. That's weird. Did they... They know if he crawled under the tree because he had said I've been shot. So I wonder if he had like the wherewithal enough to like crawl to a safe space, like lean himself up against a tree and like wait for help. But then no help ever came. Well, I mean, they said there were no like drag marks like around. Okay, so it didn't. Seem but I like feel like somebody... even if you crawled, there would be. Yeah, there'd be some kind of evidence on the ground of that. Yeah. So. That's what I read. And if you're shot, you're probably not going to get up and walk to a tree and then sit down and then die. Yeah. So mysterious. They don't know Very what weird. happened to him. But yeah. Like we said, nobody ever came forward, said it was an accident, and they never had any suspects. Yeah. So um, it was Is that all you it. had for murders? That is all I had for murders. Yeah, me but too. I do have some more about the 
ghost towns and how they became ghost towns and the weird, weird, just kind of unlucky shit that's happened. Okay, yeah. Fill so me in. A couple years later, in 1898, the logging industry pretty much completely went bankrupt, and Glastonbury desperately tried to rebuild itself as a new community that was a classy seasonal summer resort. Classy. For high-end people. Ooh. So the railroads, the railroads that were once used to transport, you know, logging goods back and forth were made into electric trolley routes. And the boarding houses were renovated into high-end hotels for people to stay in. They actually, like, the town really, really tried to make it, like, very, very nice and kind of make something new so that it wasn't just all for naught. Mm-hmm. However, it did not last very long. Mm. They had one summer season, and that was it. Oh, God. So People probably didn't have a good time. Well, no. Actually, the fall of 1898, there was catastrophic flooding and mudslides on the side of the mountain. So So it probably ruined everything. Due to the excessive deforestation that the logging had done, Basically, like I had said, all the mature trees had been stripped from the mountainside, which all of those mature trees are holding all of the soil in place. And it, you know, that root system really creates the structure on the side of the mountain. So without those trees and the roots holding everything in place, that rain just eroded the entire side of the mountain and everything came crumbling down. It completely destroyed the only bridge and railway that was going into the town. So it effectively made Glastonbury a ghost town. And did the families move? Like, what happened to them? Yeah, pretty much. There was barely any families there. Like I said, it was just, you know, at that time it was a summer resort. So there wasn't a lot of people staying on the mountain full time. It was pretty much everyone was there for the summer. Then they would close down, you know, like winterize. And then they were planning to open back up in the spring. But they could not get back up the mountain pretty much because the railway had been washed out and no roads had been built up the side of the mountain at that time. So they were shit out of luck. Pretty much. So that made Glastonbury a ghost town. And that is, that is pretty much it. And it just kind of shows you that, you know, they tried to build that town on the side of the mountain and they just had bad luck after bad luck and two murders and then a catastrophic flood. Which obviously that isn't, you know, supernatural. It was clearly due to the deforestation. But yeah, yeah. I feel just, like if they didn't fuck around and chop all those trees down, yeah, but they wanted of, to be a logging company. Yeah, exactly. And uh, at that point, there was no regulations on anything. You know, nobody, there was no like environmental person coming uh, by and checking on shit. The EP you know? didn't come by in there. No, ACVs? it was not there in the 1800s, <laughs> unfortunately. No. Um, all right. Well, are you he- ready to hear about some yeah, crazy so now we're gonna disappearances? Get into some missing persons. We're going to jump forward, you know, into the 1900s now and All right. talk about some weird spooky shit. Here we go. All right. So in 1945, a five-year span of disappearances began in the Bennington Triangle. It is said that as many as 10 people have disappeared between 1920 and 1950, I read in a source. Ooh. But like I said, the records back then weren't the best. The best. Um, so the first disappearance happened in November of 1943. A man named Carl Herrick disappeared. Um, his death is often overlooked because his body was found and a definite cause of death was given. 
all the other ones are kind of, you know, we don't know how they died or there's just no trace yeah. of them. Um, but we're going to count him in these spooky yeah. disappearances. We the other guys, you know, and one of them just died in a brawl and then the other one was, was shot. shot so. Yeah. Um, so Carl was hunting with his cousin Henry northeast of Glastonbury Mountain. And Glastonbury Mountain lies like in the center of the triangle. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah. It's like right in the center. Yes. So at some point, the two got separated. Henry called authorities um, shortly after to help look for him. It was only a few days later that Henry's body was found. And just like the previous guy, his gun was found nearby, but no bullets had been fired. Interesting. Yeah, they were all still there. The autopsy determined that he was squeezed to death. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, squeezed to that. the point that his ribs punctured his lungs. Oh, fuck. And no. that's how he died. But oh what god. was he squeezed by? Oh, fucking Bigfoot? Probably Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Just a big-ass bear hug? Too big of a bear hug. Oh, yeah. Plus so a bear would not hug you. No, a bear would not hug you. Um, the next disappearance is a man named Mitty Rivers. Um, on November 12th, 1945, Mitty was a 74-year-old local hunting guide. He was leading a group of four hunters around the area known as Hell Hollow. So, I, yeah, fun name. Fun name, yep. This is one that I've seen a lot, too, and it's, this one I saw is, like, usually, like, the first disappearance. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I included... Yeah. The previous one, because, I mean, being squeezed to death. That's some weird shit. That's some yeah. weird shit. Like, why would you not include that? Um, so, this area known as Hell Hollow is in the southwest woods of Glastonbury. And, you know, he was leading a little hunting trip, and he suddenly just vanished. Everyone just kind of suddenly vanishes around here. Yeah, weird. Many believe that he would be able to survive in the woods on his own, given he was a knowledgeable woodsman. He knew this trail very well, and he had walked it multiple times. But, yeah, but initial searches for him were unsuccessful. Uh, 300 locals and the U.S. Army soldiers from Massachusetts Fort Devens searched the woods for eight days. They never found a single trace of Mitty. See, all the, the like, no trace found makes me think of that man-eating stone story yep. that the Algonquins warned the European settlers about. Yeah. Because you never know if that's well, just if, true. Well, if they just disappear and there's yeah. no trace of them, there's no trace of their belongings, yeah. like... And if somebody, I'm blaming the stone. So blaming also the think stone. about this. If somebody is lost in the woods, what is one of the one things that you try to do? Get to a higher level ground to look at your surroundings. I would just go, help! <laughs> Amanda! I mean, you could climb a tree and you'd be safe. But like, if you saw a big boulder and you were like, oh, cool, I could probably find a trail yeah. from the top of that. And then and you climb the top you. of it and, you know, it just sucks you in. I'm here for it. Yeah. You never know. You never know. So just keep that in mind, guys. So the next disappearance is probably the most well-known missing persons cases in Vermont history. Yeah. And it's the most, like, popular, yeah, this I guess, is a, disappearance yeah, of these. Yeah, you want to call it popular. Yeah. I, I, that's why you guys couldn't see my air quotes, but yeah. sometimes I just can't think of the correct word at the moment. You know what I mean? It's the most well-known yeah. of these 
Bennington Triangle disappearances. So 18-year-old Paula Weldon, uh, she was a student at Bennington College, and she decided that she wanted to take a hike on the Long Trail during Thanksgiving break. And we brought up the Long Trail. This is kind of where most of these... Yes, a lot of these disappearances happen. On the Long Trail. So most of her friends had returned home for the holiday, but Paula did not. She stayed, and... um, She was even still working at her job at the dining hall at school. Wow. Yep. And on December 1st, 1946, she finished up her shift, went back to her dorm to change her clothes, and she told her roommate that she was going for a hike. So um, the roommate must have stayed back as well. Paula was dropped off by a local man named Louis Knapp. She was wearing a red coat. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. A red coat. Blue. scary. Yep. Very spooky scary. Red coat, blue jeans, and white sneakers. Um, remember, it's December 1st. Just some jeans and sneakers and a coat. Yeah, not super well equipped if you're going to climb to the top of a mountain. If you're going for like a short walk, not Maybe. a problem. But it's still not much for December in Vermont. No. So she was seen by multiple eyewitnesses on the trail where she actually spoke to a few people asking how long the trail was. So I don't know if she'd never hiked this trail before, but I'm guessing not if she's asking people how long yeah, it is. The, the long trail is pretty long. That's if you want to hike all of it, you're going to Maine. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. She should have hiked the short trail that I day. Guess, yeah. So on this day, it, it was about 50 degrees when she left campus. So a pretty warm day for December. Um, but that night, the temperature dropped drastically to nine degrees and it ended up snowing about three inches that yeah. night. And like we said before, there was also extreme weather changes on the mountain too. So who knows like if it was worse on the mountain or if the wind chill was even worse, what was going on up there? Oh yeah. The wind chill is always what gets you. Yeah. So when she didn't show up to her Monday classes, this is when the alarm started going off. There was a massive search for her, more than a thousand people, and a reward for five thousand dollars. So five thousand dollars in the fifties, pretty good chunk of change. Yeah. So one man, his name was Ernie Whiteman. Uh, he was a night watchman for the Banner newspaper, and he saw a photo of Paula on the front page. He recognized Paula as the same girl he spoke with at about four p.m. that Sunday afternoon. Oh, boy. He was the one that Paula asked for directions about the length of the trail. Oh. Yeah. So I read in another source that a waitress at a local diner served a girl matching Paula's description that night. She said the girl was with a young man who was drunk, kind of being abusive. Uh, The girl signaled for the waitress to come over, and she'd asked her where she was and how far it was to Bennington, Vermont. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, just, I hate that. Yeah. So I don't know if you read that, but I figured it would be just I did not something see to that, throw that, in. Ooh, yeah. I don't like that at all. Despite the large turnout of searchers, aircrafts, and a variety of law enforcement departments, no trace of Paula was ever discovered, and the search ended on December 15th. That's so sad. Yeah. So about two weeks later. Many people, including Paula's father, thought authorities lacked sophistication methods while handling the case. Um, he actually like fought like tooth and nail, like hired psychics. Like he was like really trying to find his daughter. Oh, that breaks my heart. Yeah. And this case is actually what I guess helped develop the Vermont state police. Before this, Vermont did not have its own state police force. 
They relied on the neighboring states of Massachusetts and New Hampshire to help them. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah. So Vermont's one of those states that I feel like they're so isolated from the rest of the U.S. Yeah, and they just had such a small population for so long that nothing really didn't have as much. It wasn't developed quickly. No. Um, But Paula has never been found. Ever. And her case remains open to this day. Yeah, there's never been a trace of her. Yeah, I mean, if alive, she'd be almost 90 years old. That's crazy. But she's probably not. I hate to say it. So no one knows what happened to 18-year-old Paula. Exactly three years to the day after Paula had vanished, 68-year-old World War II veteran James Tedford got on a bus that was headed to Bennington after visiting relatives in St. Almonds, Vermont. Almonds. Albans. St. St. Albans. You're doing awesome. I, um, I'm just going to sidetrack a little bit. I had my eye surgery, and I still have a contact lens in my eye. And it makes my vision, like, so fucking blurry. So I'm reading off a Word document right now on my computer, but I'm just telling you right now, I can't really fucking see it's it that well. See. Yeah, it's really hard to see. Um, I think this one is like the most confusing. Yeah. So numerous eyewitnesses, including the bus driver, saw James in his seat as late as the last stop before Bennington. And it said that he was sleeping throughout the ride. But when the bus arrived in town, he was gone. Oddly enough, his his luggage remained in his seat. But if these eyewitnesses are correct, James would have disappeared from his seat as the bus is traveling down Route 7 through the Bennington Triangle. Which is fucking crazy. He was on the bus. No one saw him got off. His luggage was left behind. And there wasn't any stops made. No. So, like, what the fuck happened? Where did you go, dude? Yeah, so that's what we have on that one. A year later, in mid-October 1950, oh, I hate to say it, eight-year-old Paul Jepson, little baby, sad one. was playing in his family's pickup truck. His mother was tending to the pigs at the dump where her and her husband were caretakers and just left Paul in the back of the pickup truck to play. I guess this is just that was normal the, for them. That was the time. Oh, yeah, that was the time. You would just leave your children unattended. My dad told me even in the 60s and 70s growing up, he was left in the backseat of the car while his grandparents, well, his parents, my grandparents, you know, had a drink at the bar. Oh, my God. So. Yeah, no, not not today. You can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, God, no. I mean, if you do, you're going to get arrested. Yeah. (laughs) So when Paul's mother returned back to the truck, Paul was gone and seemed to have vanished without a trace, like all these other people. Um, he was last seen wearing a red coat. Again, dun, dun, that's dun. just, uh, I, ooh, I yep. don't like it. So hundreds of people gathered to search for the missing boy. Um, a New Hampshire sheriff brought in his bloodhound to try and track his scent, but lost the trail at a nearby crossroads. This suggested that he was probably just abducted by a motorist passing by. Um, and some people even pointed fingers at the parents saying that they probably just fed him to the pigs. So, in a documentary I read, I thought you'd think this is really cool. The New Hampshire sheriff that brought the bloodhound was from Keene. Oh, I live, like, yeah. right around Keene. Um, right next to you. Yeah. Well, we're super close to Vermont. I actually drove into Vermont yeah. last you, night to run an errand. There's 
literally just Wyndham County separating you from Bennington County. It's so cute. Like, it. if you're driving on Route 9 from New Hampshire into Brattleboro, Vermont, you go over a little bridge. And oh, over I the bridge that. is, like, the sign, Brattleboro, Vermont. Like, oh, welcome to Vermont. So cute. Um, but, yeah, so imagine being a parent and your little boy's missing and everyone's like, oh, you probably just fed him to the pigs. It's so terrible. Because, you know, you pigs eat it all. With, yeah, pigs will eat anything. But we see that a lot where parents will get blamed for the, like in, you know, the Jean Benet case, which, you know, maybe, but I mean, this, I, do not I thought, think. I thought it came out that the, uh, that the um, DNA evidence wasn't matched to anybody in the house for, well, yeah, it wasn't, but the media still says that, you know, yeah. the media I mean, still widely suspects I mean, the family had something to do with it. They could have hired somebody, you never yeah. know. Um, but what's really kind of creepy is that his father suggested that he was lured in by these mountains because, quote, Paul talked of nothing else for days prior to his disappearance. So he was like, I like obsessed with the mountains and and wanted to go up to them. Yeah. And like wanted to know why they were basically cursed. So, I mean, if he was talking about it, I feel like he probably saw an opportunity, like, yeah, I'm alone, I'm going to just go check it out real quick, I'll or be right back. something compelled him to or think some- nothing of nothing other than the mountains and lured him up there. Yeah, yeah. Paul's case went cold and there were no further developments. So weird. Yeah. So just. Also so sad. Eight years old. Eight years old. Yeah. yeah. Ugh fucking terrible so just two weeks later 53 year old frida langer or langer went missing from the somerset area of the long trail bordering east glastonbury she was an experienced hiker and survivalist and she was very familiar with the area as well frida was camping with her husband and cousin and her and her cousin decided to go for a hike they walked about half a mile on the trail um, while her husband stayed back because apparently he had hurt his knee, didn't want to go hiking. Okay. During the hike, Frida slipped and fell into a stream, a stream, sorry, um, because her clothing was now all wet. She left to head back to the camp to change while her cousin stayed behind to wait for her. Not sure why he just like wouldn't walk back with her. Yeah. Um, but her husband states she never came back to the campsite and her cousin says that she never returned to the trail. So weird. Yep. So the Connecticut Coast Guard, along with the Massachusetts U.S. Army and the Vermont Aeronautics Commission, along with local residents, helped search for Frida. Six months later, her body was found near the Somerset Reservoir, and this was an open area, so, like, not hidden, that had been previously searched extensively. The cause of her death could not be determined because because of how decomposed her body was. That's nuts. Yeah. So, um, all these victims disappeared in the mid-afternoon around 3 or 4 p.m. Most of them were wearing the color red. They all disappeared not far from each other, and they all disappeared during the months of October through December. So, winter months. So, winter months, same time of day. Um, The first idea would probably be, like, a serial killer, obviously, but there doesn't seem to be a clear M.O., yeah, not a I mean, if, and also all the sus like not suspects, all the victims are very different too. So 
Exactly. There's they're all different ages. There are different genders. Yeah. So they kind of just exnade that serial killer idea. Um, a lot of people believe that maybe they just got disoriented walking through the woods. Now these are just people trying to find out like yeah, like a reasonable explanation. Yeah, like a rational explanation. Me, it's fucking haunted land. Yeah, it's all cursed. Um, some people think that may, they may have fell down some unmarked mine shafts and wells. That could possibly have happened. Yeah, and if they're in these remote areas, that that's why no one would ever be able to find them. Yeah. Um, another theory is maybe an animal attack. Yeah. My theory is maybe a Bigfoot attack. Possibly, or a man-eating rock. But this doesn't explain the guy missing for the bus or the little boy missing. Exactly, yeah. Like, that guy from the bus just blows my mind. Um, like, did he just tuck and roll mm-hmm. out of the back when the bus was driving? But someone would have fucking noticed, I exactly. think. Um, so there have just been a couple recent cases um, that kind of sparked some renewed interest in all the missing persons cases in this area. Yeah. Um, on September, I don't know if you read any of these. So on no. September 17th, 2019, the remains of a New York resident were found, um, and they were found near the Somerset Reservoir, and these were the remains of Jessica Hildenbrandt. Her death was believed to be a homicide, and unfortunately, there were no leads to the case. She was nicknamed Red by her friends and family. Weird. In August of 2021, super recently, um, I'm going to botch this guy's name, Joseph Schnowig, Schnonig, Schonig. Joseph, we're just going to call him Joseph. He was found in his truck at the same reservoir with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He had been missing for several weeks and his truck was red. Oh, shit. So coincidence or not, the red theme seems to be consistent. It's very weird. So that's all I had for um, disappearances. Yeah. Okay. So, like I said earlier, I just have a couple more Bigfoot things that I wanted to talk about because they were pretty mm-hmm. recent, or fairly recent, in the 2000s, so. Yeah. Uh, one of them was 20 years ago. But on sep- it will in September of 2003, Ray Dufresne was driving his daughter to uh, Vermont College in Bennington, where is, Paula went. Is it still called Bennington College or is it called Vermont College? It said Vermont College in Bennington in the okay. notes, but that also could be inaccurate. It could be the Bennington College. Of I don't know. I just or didn't like, know if they renamed it. I'm guessing that's like their their UMass, you know what I mean? Like University of Vermont, yep. Bennington or something like that. Uh, but he was driving her to college in Bennington. And while they were driving on Route 7 through the mountains, he spotted a large hairy creature walking across the road. And it looked like it was about six foot tall, around 270 was it pounds. Yeah. It was, was it Andrew. 70? No. <laughs> Lar- large, shaggy black hair covering no. his entire body. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not your husband? Are you sure? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, my God. So uh, he saw this creature kind of like walking along the side of the road and just the way it walked and the way like the arms hung and swung by the body, it he just thought. I'm mimicking it, it right now. You guys can't see. But... Yeah, you're doing great. You Thank make, you. Make a great Bigfoot. Thank you. Even though I'm five one. Yeah, you'd be Littlefoot. <laughs> like um, <laughs> like the dinosaur. Yeah, Land Before Time. Love that. I Land love Before Time. 
perfection. That was like my childhood with my brothers were those movies. Also the most heartbreaking shit ever. Do they have those on any streaming? I think they have a couple. I used to see them on Netflix maybe, but we don't anymore. We'll have to look. We'll look after this. Those are some good movies. Yep. We'll take a peek. Anyway, go on, Bigfoot. So anyway, then we have another account from 2005, but I got both of these from the Bigfoot Field Research Organization There's network. an actual website? Like yeah, there was organizational a website. Website. Yeah. And they had, like, recorded. And they, not only did they have recorded experiences, but for, like, substantial, like, reports that people put in, they would actually send somebody out to interview the person and try to, like, corroborate their story, you know, see where the sighting was, go back to the area to see if it fit, like, with other Bigfoot reportings. Like, they actually take it very seriously. Wow. Do they so. have, like, trail cams, like, set up? Places? Oh, some places do. We haven't found, like, a bunch of substantial things. There was one trail cam photo that it wasn't from, like, a like a researcher, but it was just somebody who had a trail cam on their property in Vermont, and they think that they caught a picture of Bigfoot. We'll put it on the Instagram, and I'll show it to you. And it does, it Please looks show me. Like, like something, like a person crawling on the ground. It does not look like a bear, but... You never know. Mm. I don't know. It looks very weird. So the other case was from 2005, and it was in the summertime. And this was a Civil War reenactor who was participating in an event on the grounds of the Hilden Mansion in Manchester, Vermont, which is um, in the same area. So in the middle of the night, around about 1 to 2 a.m., he got up and got out of his tent to use a restroom. It was just, you know, kind of walking around the grounds. And he kind of had this feeling like he was being kind of watched and like observed from I the woods. I hate that. So he just like felt very, very eerie about it. And as he was walking, he could hear other footsteps walking in the woods kind of with his footsteps. Nope, I'm out. <clears throat> which is just very very weird nope and it sounded larger than just you know like like an animal walking in the woods yeah like another like it was like a being like a a person yeah you know two feet walking so the next night around 11 p.m the same thing happened and two of his buddies were with him two of the other civil war reenactors who were staying in the area and same thing they kind of got that feeling like they were being watched from the woods And then as they were walking, they would hear what sounded like another set of footsteps walking with them, which is just spooky scary. So fucking weird. So weird. It's very weird. Yeah. So those were two of like the more recent cases that I had seen, but there's a ton of other reports in just all of Vermont and New Hampshire and I even some it. in the Berkshires. Oh, I of believe Massachusetts. it. Massachusetts. There's a lot of stuff, weird things that go on in the Northeast. And I don't yeah. think people, re- I get shit happens everywhere, but like the Northeast of the US is like very weird. Very area. weird. Yeah. Very remote in some spots, especially like Vermont, New Hampshire, yeah. Maine, like super remote areas. I mean, how like states. Said, Somerset has a population of six as yeah. of 2020. So. I mean, even my town is like pretty. I mean, yeah, it's, it's less not than a six, thousand. but like 
I would say I live in a kind of remote-ish town. I would town. say under 1,000 people for a population is pretty remote. Yeah, I mean, I'm right next to a college town. So yeah. if I need to run errands, I'm right down the road. But, like, I mean, like, I'll go outside at night. Yeah. And, like, it's I silent. can see it's silent. It's just very different from me living in the north end of Providence. Yeah, no, you have, like, sirens and, like, music going There's at all times. three fire stations within a five-mile radius of me. Even, like, so. when I was living in Middleborough, it's just, like, I was living on the main road, and it's just, like, fire truck after fire truck. Like, yeah. when when we're at Amanda's in the city trying to record, like, sometimes oh we need to pause because, like, the church bells are going yeah, off. Yeah, the church bells Or, like, the neighbor off. is, like, blaring his music, and yeah. we gotta wait for him to turn it down. Yep, or somebody's just screeching outside in the abandoned parking lot next to my house. Providence. I mean, Branch Ave in Providence is, yeah. like, crazy. I mean... There's other, there's worse parts of Providence. There are, but I do, there are some colorful characters in my neighborhood. I love Providence though. Like, I'm, you're going to look back on that and it's be a like, fun I city, lived in Providence but, for a couple oh, yeah. years. It's definitely a great, great experience, but I grew up in Plimpton, Massachusetts, you know, where there was more chicken and cows than there were people. So going from that to living in a city where, you know, I don't even have a yard there's just an alleyway full of rats behind me and then a parking lot in front of me. Um, I just, I'm very much, it very much affirmed for me that I'm a country mouse and not a city mouse. If you know that story, guys. Yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a city gal. Yeah. But um, no, like, yeah, like going outside, like you said, like it's fucking silent. And also like you can see every single star. Like there's no light pollution. Like it's, it's I can't awesome. see a single star in the city. And that's something I do miss. And I, I didn't really think that I, it's not something that crossed my mind when I moved, but I miss like being able to step outside and, you know, just like, cause I'm, I have horrible insomnia. So sometimes I'd be up at like 2 AM and I just go step outside and like, just listen to the silence and just stare at the sky. And, you know, you just feel so small and such a big universe and it's a cool feeling. Yeah. But it's really nice out here. It's it's definitely an adjustment. Like, especially yeah. like, you know, when I'm home alone. Oh yeah. <laughs> Spooky. Um, but I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Don't worry, I'll be moving up here soon. Oh, please do. I know it's gonna my, happen. My whole family needs to just like move up here and all my friends. We're all gonna just like come move into the surrounding area it's, it's cheaper it's it really so much is. cheaper to live up here like i wish i left the south shore sooner yeah i don't know i was struggling i'm like why don't I just move somewhere else where it's cheaper but yeah that's what brought me to providence rent was way cheaper than the oh, south rent shore, is way but cheaper but there's no way i could buy a house in rhode island i i'd rather be up in the woods and closer to you so mm-hmm. i'm glad i'm like a deciding yeah, factor definitely so is that all like the B- bigfoot information that is pretty much everything that i've got it's crazy because like when you like look up beddington triangle it's like ufos like weird things so yeah that's something i saw too but then when i tried to find like like reports credible like research. credible research or like actual like you know so and so on this date saw this this and this couldn't really find that it was a lot of like you'll see flashing lights at the top of the mountain and stuff like that which is it's like your common UFO things that you'll see is like weird, strange lights and things like that, odd colors in the sky. But again, it was like I could not find like a like a well accredited like report Sighting, yeah. or recording. There of it. was um something like earlier this week. 
that there were some weird lights going on in like around Keene and like in Vermont, like Brattleboro, like area people were seeing like weird lights in the sky. Yeah, it, it happens so, a lot. But I don't, I didn't look into that and see what it was from. But I mean, Bridgewater Triangle had some UFO sightings yeah. and just like, even like, I, I mean, I guess, what was that episode that was? What were the names of those people from New Hampshire? The couple. It was Betty and Barney Hill. Betty and Barney Hill. I was. I thought it was like Barnes or something. I was close. Barney, close. Um, but like these remote-ish areas, like yeah. UFOs love that shit. Apparently, oh, absolutely. But it's crazy because like the Bridgewater Triangle, like that's not that remote. Like I wouldn't no, call that remote. area remote. It's not. Maybe like Rehoboth is yeah. like, but that's not even like a remote town. Like no, and like the Freetown State Forest, yes, but like. Um, I know one spot that people have said that they've seen UFOs is like Lake Nipnicket, which is, that's like pretty close to Bridgewater Center, which is a college town like Keene. So that's kind of busy. It's a busy area. Yeah. So it's like you said, yeah. It's but like Taunton, like it's like those towns, like. Yeah, it's like a city. They're hopping. Yeah. Taunton's a city technically. Um, the Silver It's city. just, I just think, like, the Bridgewater Triangle, I think, like, most of the haunting comes from, like, what just happened. Yeah, the land, definitely. Yeah. Which is, we're gonna, we're gonna do, I think that that's gonna be the, the first episode of our Bridgewater Triangle series, is we'll, we'll talk about the Wampanoag, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe is what they're called, mm-hmm. and we will talk about the King Philip's War. Yeah. Which was, you know, that's pre-revolutionary, and it's pretty much how the European settlers pushed the natives out of this land and they were horrible to them. Like full on medieval chopped their heads off and put them on spikes outside of Plymouth. Yep. And used that as a warning. It's, It's insane because a lot of towns, street names, neighborhoods are named after these tribes. Yes. Like, there's a lot of that happening. And I think it's, like, I hate to say it, but I think it's, you know, the the way of them trying to make up for the fact that we took literally all of their homes away from them. I I saw something that I only saw in one of the documentaries. I think it was with the Amazon documentary on the Natural Triangle. Um, I can't remember where I saw it from, but you might know. I guess, like, the land will, like, never know peace because um, the belt of somebody was, like, taken and they want their belts back. Was it King Anawan? I think so. The it was Anawan? Yeah, I think it was, like, one of the chiefs on, like... He was also known as King Philip by the Europeans because, of course, they always, like, they... Gave they, him they, a name, yeah, yeah. they gave them, you know, proper god names, Ugh. which is fucking terrible. Yeah, there's, so there's I guess they, like, shit that took, happened. like, the settlers, like, took his belt, like, yeah. his sacred belt. Yeah. And that the land will never know peace until the belt is returned. Oh, yeah. There to was, the natives. Yeah, so we'll talk about King Philip's War and Anawanwa. Anawan Rock wow. yep. is where he was captured. Yeah. So I, I want to take you for a visit there. I actually used to live like three miles away from that rock. I heard that was like a part where people feel like a lot of like heaviness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that whole, <clears throat> those whole woods feel very, very heavy. You know me going from... in the middle of the woods. Like I love nature. Like I want to yeah. be like one of those people that like feels relaxed and calm in nature. Cause I know it's like really important for like grounding yeah. and like, you know, turning in and like, you know, just working on nature helps with like a lot of things. Yeah. But I'm just constantly 
thinking on like the true crime side of things or like the spooky, scary side of things. I do it to myself, but it happens. I can, I would but... never be able to like walk into the woods, like around my house, like alone and like be so, like, Ooh, ah, I'm calm. I, cause I grew up walking through the woods alone as a child. So I've always found comfort in the forest, but when I lived in Taunton, that forest was not You took me on a walk. Very we like we and went for a walk with your cats. Yeah. And I remember like just not feeling a okay. Did I ever tell you I did acid in those woods? You did. Yeah, yeah you it did. It was a <laughs> It was a like it was an okay experience, but you know, the, you know your your dad's going to hear that. That's okay. Okay. Sorry, Steve. Sorry, dad. <laughs> Amanda is a wonderful young woman. We all know I'm a disappointment, but okay. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but I did. I I did psychedelics in those woods. I know. I would not. Did you have any like? I didn't have. I didn't like see anything strange. But it definitely the like the earth itself felt very weird. And I'm usually one who likes to try and have like a connection with the earth if I'm doing some kind of psych- psychedelics. Yeah. And it just like. It just felt different than other places. That I wouldn't have been able to in. be calm in that situation. Like, but it was I remember, daytime, like, so yeah, I remember even like I would go there and we would like set up our little chairs over on like the side, and it yeah. just like I don't know the feeling. I was just like closed in. Like, so those sitting woods- out there at night was not it was so very uncomfortable the area that we're talking about is like in the bridgewater triangle yes. and it's, so it's like, like the, definitely like old like land that belonged like the to the natives line. yeah so it was a kind of woodsy area that i lived on a dead end road um in like the west end of taunton right on the line of rehoboth and it was a very woodsy area so i had heard from the people that i had lived with that they had found arrowheads, you know, when they would go out. Yeah, digging when, when you they find arrowheads, you're like, oh. And I mean, I, I already knew the whole area had been like saturated. Of, so, with like, the Mashpeewampa Noahs actually own land in Taunton. They were actually going to build a casino in that area because that is where they, that was a very large and sacred area for their tribe that was yeah. taken from them. Yep. And those woods are very sacred to them. That's why. King Philip, well, Anawan, I, I want to call him Anawan. I don't want to call him this fucking European name because that's not his name. That's not the one that he wanted. But Anawan, Chief Anawan, was hiding in those woods and using the swamp as a way to hide from European settlers. And that's how they were able to evade them for so long and why King Philip's war went on for so long. And he was found about three miles away from where I lived. That is insane. Yeah. But those woods were very weird. I used to have very strange recurring dreams in that house too. And I lived in the basement. So I feel like living, like spending You were like living in in like some sort of portal. Was just very strange. And I think I, honestly, I think I was because the dreams that I would have were I would, I would wake up in my bed and I would see lines of people walking down the basement steps, like from the bulkhead and walking through the basement and then going into the wall, into the ground on the other side. And I would have that probably like once or twice a week. And I never really understood why. And I always felt very real. Like I would feel like I was just waking up and sitting up in my bed, grabbing like a sip of water. And then I would just see these people. And I never really could catch like faces. They were always just kind of like a mist. Yeah. But 
it was, it was a common thing that I've had. And I have never had that dream since I moved away from Taunton. <clears throat> yeah. You needed to get out of which is yeah. That, that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, if anyone knows when I was like at that time, I was, it was a negative time in my life. I was a very negative person. So no, you've always, it, you've always been a really like positive person. Like my perspective is yeah. like Amanda's just like, happy-go-lucky just like but always happy weird. positive like grandma baking you cookies very, and like it felt very emotionally draining a lot yeah but you could tell that like that was like what was like kind of pulling you down because oh, that yeah. like wasn't you it was very weird very weird time yeah um i'm Ugh, I'm just like Ugh. spooked out now. We will, we'll go more in depth than that too when uh, we do like our Bridgewater Triangle yeah, episode. Amanda's um, got a really good friend who has had her yeah. share of experiences. Yeah, so we're going to have her. Sarah grew up in Bridgewater. So we're going to have her come on the show and yeah, we're going to talk to her. We're going to have her give her own story. Yeah. We're going to do a couple things. We might have a couple guests come on. I might ask some other people if they want to join in on it too. And It'll probably be, like, several parts. Like, no, I don't oh, even yeah. want to say, like, a two, three part. We might be doing, like, four, five, six Bridgewater parts. Triangle has a shit ton of so, information. And it, and it may just continue to grow. It may just be, like, a series on the show that we do, like, you know, once or twice a month. Because yeah, it's some, a lot. Some people might need a little break between. Yeah. I know I would. Oh, like, yeah. If you're doing, like, a multi-part episode that's like three or four parts i i need a little like um little palette cleanser palette cleanser in between yeah so was that all the information we had on the bennington triangle that is it for the bennington triangle i know we kind of went on a tangent at the end about the bridgewater triangle but you know it's because you hear a lot about them in like around the same time and it's because the the guy who coined the name the bennington triangle took it from the Bridgewater Triangle, which, you know, comes really? from the Bermuda Triangle. Yep. So he does mention it in his book that he, like, he kind of coined it yeah. from that well, term. Th- I'm sure there's plenty of other triangles Yeah, there's now. a lot of little weird spots where, you know, whether it's, like, electromagnetic fields or whatever it may be, that just strange things happen. Yeah. And um, it's funny because my husband was like, you're going to run out of like New England topics. Like if you're only focusing on New England, I'm like, don't worry, babe. Like, oh, don't you worry. Don't <laughs> New England's got worry. a lot of fucked up shit happening. And honestly, too. So when I was um, doing some research about the Algonquins, I found a whole list of like myths, legends and creatures in their lore. And I want to go through it and like, learn about as many of them as I can and probably do like a little episode on it because they have like I saw like Pukwudgies coming up and they're like talking about seeing them in like Maine and Vermont and New Hampshire and like I thought that was just a Bridgewater Triangle thing but there's there's a lot there's a lot of crazy creatures like giant birds weird snake people Loch Ness monsters and I think it'd be cool to talk about the different you know native monsters of this area yeah definitely i love um stuff like that there's also the black flash of yeah p-town oh yeah so i've been wanting to like do an episode on that so maybe we can like do something of like 
um, what's the word? Like folklore. I don't. Yeah, like some kind of like urban legends yeah. kind of vibe. I guess what you mean. Spooky yeah. things. Spooky, spooky things. scary stuff. That's all what right. it's all about here. Well, we hope you guys stay spooky. Stay scary. And, and stay, stay safe. safe. Bye. Bye.